the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 560, The Answer. Prepare to have your mind opened. The lies of the mainstream media are about to be exposed, and the hypocrisy of the left is about to be revealed. You've tuned into Black and Right. This is a revolution in how you think about politics, race, and culture. And leading that revolution are your hosts, Charles Love and John Anthony. Good afternoon. Welcome to Black and Right. I'm Charles Love. And I'm John Anthony. Well, when we came on to do this show, we thought, John and I, that we were going to be able to just talk about us ourselves, talk about what we like and how we got here. And then we realized, wait, we only have an hour to do this show. That's and all. We, and we, yeah, and we got a lot of stuff to talk about. So what we're going to do is we're going to limit that for now. Um, Go to our guests, and we think that you'll learn about more about us through this show and through subsequent shows. But we do want to at least start the show by giving you an overview of what we plan to bring you going forward. And I'll defer to John. Well, you know, hey, thanks so much, um, Charles. I really appreciate it. You know, I, first of all, I want to just thank the AM560, the Answer family, for allowing us, to giving us this opportunity. The opportunity to push back against this progressive leftist agenda that's really, I believe, is destroying our, our state and our country. So that's one of the things that I hope this radio program is able to do from now until the eternity's time. Push back against this prog- this dangerous progressive agenda. Yeah. Um, similar to that, for me, it's all about macro. I look at things, and there's things I agree with, uh, with, with true liberals and agree with the Republicans and conservatives on. But when we don't agree, we can fight about uh, policies and complain about... Um, the small things, issues and things in the, in the news. And I think that's important, and we can point out that kind of thing because it helps kind of explain ways that the big things are important and um, how they tie into the things we're talking about. But the macro is all about the culture. I believe that uh, we are going in a dangerous direction, and if we don't uh, focus on that first, everything else will be lost. Um, and speaking of culture... I think that uh, I'd say that John and Anth- John and I um, are fortunate to open our show with one of the premier thinkers in America. Um, there are several conservatives who truly understand conservatism, but only a handful who have the academic pedigree and the wisdom to communicate in a way average people like myself will understand. At in that the topic of race, and really there are only three people that most people would think about. There's Thomas Sowell. There's Walter Williams and our first guest. Okay. Okay. We're still holding for him. Um, but, yeah, we, we're going to bring someone on who, who's written several books about culture, particularly about race, and uh, talk about what's been going on recently. Um, John? You know, just, just to push back on, I mean, to, to talk about your first comment, you know, to, and to come into agreement with you, I think when you look at people that are on the left, liberals, there's some really good people out there. I've served with some good people during my time in the legislative body here in Illinois. Uh, there's some good people. I think what we're entering to now is that, that progressives that are taking over, 
you know, a lot of the Democrat Party and some of the Republican Party. Yes. Um, oh, you have him on now? Okay, we have him here. Um, our first guest is uh, the Robert J. and Marion E. Oster, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. He is a filmmaker and, the, uh, and an author, author of the books The Content of Our Character, A Dream Deferred, White Guilt, which I personally think is his magnum opus. Yeah, it was a great book. <laughs> and his most recent book, Shame, How Past Sins Have Polarized Our Country. We are honored to be welcomed by Shelby Steele. Shelby? Hello. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. Thanks for being here. Um, I look at your collections of writings as kind of a graduate course in race relations in America. And in the last <laughs> two weeks... The news has gone from Trump's racist tweets about four congresswomen to his racist tweets about Baltimore. And then just a couple of days ago, the Democrats had debates where everyone talked about race, including Elizabeth Warren giving us, uh, teaching us that racism is like Baskin Robbins and there are 31 flavors and Trump is just serving up race, a racist buffet. So I want to start by asking you your thoughts on these renewed talks of race. Well... You know, I, I think there's, there has been, uh, for the left, enormous power in uh, the fight against, the supposed fight against racism. I don't think they, it's a monochromatic movement. Uh, of they are, Their only focus at this point is racism. They have nothing else. They have no ideas. They have no uh, notions about poverty that would be meaningful. Uh, nothing. Uh, but they can call you a racist, and that then gives them a, a moral authority, or at least they think it does. Right. And it actually does give them a moral authority so that they have the power to compete with conservatives and often win. Right. That's, that's... Uh, but through nothing more than the use of uh, the, the word racism. Well, this is America. We're sort of paying for our history, uh, our tragic racial history. Um, and again, people find the moral high ground, find power uh, by by putting themselves above that history. Right, and I and I I've heard you mention that um, concept before, and it was really enlightening. But generally speaking, you were talking about the way blacks use race uh, to bludgeon. Uh, whites in some cases, but I find, I don't know if you agree, but I think recently it's been a shift, and oddly enough, most of the people who are yelling the loudest about racism are white liberals, and it seems like a a shocking trend, so I want to know what uh, you think has changed in uh, the racial discussion from when you wrote White Guilt to now. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think the old tactic of of screaming racism has, has begun to wear thin a little bit. It, it, particularly, I think it's important to mention, among black Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have used our history of victimization as our primary weapon, our primary source of power, for so long that it's sort of become exhausted. Um, and it, it's, not get, it's not solving any of our problems at all. Uh, and so in that sense, the only, it's still, it's still operative for people on the left, for white liberals, uh, who, who claim to be, you know, dyed in the wool haters of racism, 
because they sense power in it, and they, they, it gives them this moral authority, and I'm above racism and you are not, and therefore I deserve power and you don't. Uh, racism has been their only currency of power. Well, if you take that away, what, what, what do they have? Uh, so they've discovered that now, and, and they're drunk on it. Uh, every, every day you hear nothing but people being charged with, with racism. Uh, it's it's it is um, the voice of a movement that's exhausted. That again doesn't have. When we look at deep inner city poverty in America, in all the major cities and so forth, that's a real problem. Uh, you're not going to get to the heart of that problem by talking about racism. It's not caused by racism at this right. point. But but do you uh, think and that so they they cover their they cover their impotence mm -hmm. with this, again, this reflexive calling everybody racist. Well, well do you think that, uh, I mean, that's totally true, but w since it kind of shifts to where whites are kind of trying to pick up the torch and leave with that, do you think that it would ring as disingenuous in the black community? I think it, it, it is more and more. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, ironically, uh, Trump has ch has begun to challenge black America into a self-examination that we haven't gone through in a long time. Uh, and he's challenged us, you know, what have you got to lose? Mm -hmm. um, he, he's been very, uh, very frank, very open. Um, and so I think that's beginning to have, um, that's beginning to have a great impact and, and, in terms of what the landscape out there is like. Wow, yeah, that, that's true. So that's going to be interesting because uh, you, you think that's going to have an impact on one side while the narrative is just totally opposite. I know we had you for uh, one segment, but this, uh, this conversation, this discussion is so important, and I just wanted to see if we can hold you over to after the break. Sure. That'd be great, because John's going to ask you some questions, especially about uh, about Trump, because uh, that's interesting, because I know we, when I met you and we spoke before, you said something pretty interesting to me. I was kind of shocked by it. I mean, your reasoning made sense, but you said when Trump came down that escalator, you were on board from the start. And it, even a lot of people yeah. came on later, but to hear someone say they were on board right from the start was pretty shocking. Yes. So, uh, yeah, we... Uh, Coming up to the break shortly, and we will be back. Um, John, you, uh, okay. Yeah, so we're going to do that. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Trump and how Trump can reach out to the black community and uh, what he has been doing and what he needs to do and uh, more, what more he could do. So uh, you are with Charles. You are with Charles and John, black and right, on uh, AM560 The Answer. We'll be back in a moment. This is Black and Right on AM560 with Charles Love and John Anthony. Welcome back. We're talking to author and filmmaker Shelby Steele. Um, when we went to break, we, were, we left off talking about Trump and his impact on the black community and race. And John had a question for Shelby. Well, thank you, Mr. Steele. It's, it's an honor to speak with you. Uh, I've read almost every last one of your books. But, you know, you, you spoke to Trump in the question that he said, what do you have to lose if you vote for me? And one of the things I wanted to know, what has black America gained since voting for him? 
And what should President Trump do to expand that support among black voters? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think of Donald Trump as a culture warrior. Uh, and it seemed to me very, very clearly that was clear from the, the moment he walked down the, the, the escalator. He was not going to be a conventional politician. He had no political experience whatsoever. Um, yet he was passionate about America uh, and the fundamental principles that, uh, that have always made America uh, a great nation. And so it seemed to me that he he was going to be the character who would break up a cultural paradigm, a way of dealing with race and uh, in America that that uh, had never really been talked about before. The thing that's interesting about Donald Trump is he has no white guilt. Oh, that is so true. none. That is so. He true. Uh, he is not deferential to. He doesn't think that that. The only way to be morally correct is to show deference to black people and other minorities constantly. He doesn't do that. And so, you know, he, he basically says to them, without saying it directly, but he'll probably do that, uh, you're free. Yes. You're free. You, you make of your life what you want. Uh, you are your own power. Uh, well, as far as I'm concerned, that's the message he ought to continue to, to uh, bring forward. Uh, whether he has programs or not, I really don't care. <laughs> they, they never work. They're always about something other than what they say they're about. Yes. Uh, but what we need to be reminded of is, is our own freedom, uh, our own opportunities, uh, and that our own it 's through our own individual responsibility that we we make the kind of a life we want to make Amen. and and everybody is free to do that that 's the blessing of america wouldn 't you say that what happened in his tweets about Baltimore was like a, a rip of a bandage off a wound that america 's been placing on, and what are your thoughts about about like right now we 're now talking about the plight of Baltimore. People in Baltimore are now rising up and saying, yes, you know what? For the last 30, 40 years, I have been living in this squalor conditions and nothing has changed. I th- do you believe that he's yeah. putting on the, he's putting the, the, the progressive leftist agenda on display for all of the world to see? Absolutely. I, I think that's absolutely what, again, he's a culture warrior. Uh, and he's saying what he said in that statement about Baltimore is what everybody already believes and knows to be true. Yes. What else is there to say? Uh, it is a horrible circumstance, a horrible place to live. Um, and he's saying that that's, that's reality. Whatever your racial politics may be, yes. Baltimore is still a mess right now. Yes, it is. South side of Chicago is still a mess. You can go on through countless cities. Uh, there's still what's the problem? What's the real problem then? Well, the the only the, the most foreboding phrase that a, a, a white politician can ever can ever deliver is to say to black people, "You are responsible for your own fate." Yes, you are the ones. It is. There's nothing white America can do. There's nothing a president can do. Only you can do it. And you have more opportunity to do that now than ever before. Um, the country is just riddled with opportunity 
people are by the thousands, the millions, trying to get into this country to live with that kind of opportunity. It's all around us, and we act as though if we can't activate the white, we can't get the white man to do it for us, then we won't be able to do it. Well, I, I don't want Trump to have any special concern for black people. Just be a, a good president. That's it. That's that's it. And and th- then you make you enhance my freedom as a black man to live my life as I as I want to live it and to take responsibility for it. I think it goes back to a quote that's been attributed to you that I've had I've posted on my Facebook, my Twitter a few times. And I think this this pretty much sums up everything and what you've been talking about your entire life. And the quote goes, it is time for blacks to begin the shift from a wartime to a peacetime identity, from fighting for opportunity to the seizing of it. That is a powerful quote that is well, attributed to you. Yeah, that's, uh, that's it. <laughs> uh, we are talking we, you know, to Shelby we, we Steele. We can dress it up, but at the end of the day, that's it. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it, to me, there is, a, there is a happiness in this point of view. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, it makes you happy to realize at last you're the one who's in charge, that you can do whatever you want to do. Um, that, is, that is what I think they meant, you know, in, in, the, in the Declaration of Independence, uh, that you have a right to pursue happiness. Uh, happiness is once you realize you're responsible, then you can really enjoy the freedom you have. Uh, and that's that's the idea we need the government and every other institution in American life to send to us as black Americans. Be happy. You're free. Yes. <laughs> yes, uh, everyone, we're talking to Shelby Steele. Uh, I want to ask this last question because I want to get to what you're working on. But uh, I know we still have a lot of work to do because I think that uh, in some ways we're regressing. And I like I found the quote from an interview you did in 2001 with uh, Peter Robinson on Uncommon Knowledge and you said about the greater population, not just the black uh, population, about set aside, you said, I can guarantee that somewhere between 74 and 88 percent of the American people are against preferential policies. I totally agree with that, but would you argue that that's not true today? Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question. Yeah, so would you say that that was true in 2001, that most people got it, even though they didn't get a chance to speak and knew that preferential treatment wasn't really the way, but would you say that today, with this shift to the left that we're having without the pushback that we need, that that is no longer the case, and now most people, you couldn't say that percentage would be as high Uh as 74 Uh or 88%? I see. I see, yeah. No, I think you're you're absolutely right. We have on the left this... um, uh, absorption in identity politics, um, where all that counts is your identity and your race and so forth. And, and then the, that underneath this idea of the rubric of diversity. So basically, that's affirmative action. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to start picking people because I want to build a, an optic of, of diversity in my corporation, in my business, and whatever. Um, and it is, you know, again, it's that's tragic. That's a that's a regression. That's a step backwards. Right. Um, and the people who ought to be most against it uh, are black people, because it demeans them. It, it dehumanizes us. Yeah. It makes us little objects of white 
that whites manipulate on a sort of game board uh, for their own pleasure, their own uh, sense of, of moral authority and and again we're used I, I, the wonderful thing about segregation it's a, right I think right that, I don't think to call it wonderful but <laughs> right. the, there was it had a positive side it left you to yourself yep well, we're the, coming the up racist uh, he, he, he didn't care what you thought what you believed you were you were free yes can you get be, the, and, and you know we did pretty damn well yeah. uh uh, under the circumstances, well, we have to get back to that. Right. I know I, I got a little time here left, but I want you to be able to tell people what you're working on now because I think they'll find that interesting. Okay. Well, we're working on a, a movie, a film, documentary on Ferguson and um, the uh, all of the uproar that followed from uh, the shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson by a white co- policeman, and yeah. and our our feeling is that in that in that episode, much of what is is wrong with America in terms of its its uh, in terms of race, the way race is exploited by so many different elements of our society and so forth. Well, thank you um, very much for being out here. The music coming in for the hard break. I appreciate your time, right. ladies and gentlemen. Shelby, Shelby Steele. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about, we've been talking about race and what the problems are. We're going to be talking with uh, Kevin Jackson about what we can actually do about it. You're listening to Black and Right on AM560, The Answer. And now, more of Black and Right on AM560. Here are your hosts, John Anthony and Charles Love. Welcome back to Black and Right. This is Charles and John. Uh, trying to uh, suck you in with this first show by giving you as much as we can. Now, we just talked to Shelby Steele about the issues of culture and race and what the problems were and what the left is trying to do. But we left it with, what do we do to solve the problem? How do we fight back? So on the line now, we have uh, Kevin Jackson. You know him as a former Fox contributor. He is the executive director of C, Seeking Educational Excellence. And they are an organization that are actually doing some interesting things to push back against the left. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Charles. Good, good to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to talk to you. Uh, I don't know if you heard earlier, like I said, we were speaking to uh, Shelby, and I wanted to uh, get your take. I know you got some uh, interesting things to uh, com- promote conservatism, but do it from uh, an educational standpoint. Can you tell everybody what uh, Seeking Educational Excellence is all about? Well, yeah, sure. First thing, good get to get Shelby, because he's uh, obviously one of the pioneers and leading the charge of black conservatism, I don't think of things in terms of conservatism or leftism or whatever. I just think of right versus wrong. And the direction that blacks have been headed for decades because of the craziness of leftism is the wrong direction. And what Seeking Educational Excellence strives to do is to get rid of the social justice agenda in schools and also in in, in life in general. There is nothing that we don't touch that we any longer in, in, a, in, a, in terms of our normal lives that does not involve the social justice agenda. A good, a good example is Baltimore being a rat-infested, you know, hellhole, and that's exactly what it is. But what do we do? we got to colorize it. we got to make it, oh, Donald Trump is, is you know, he's a racist, and he's saying bad things against Baltimore. Every Negro listening to this program and, and, and in America today that is over 25 years old knows exactly 
that Donald Trump is right. But if you say that, then suddenly you're a racist or whatever. And it's because instead of training blacks to say, I don't care about this nonsense and these these uh, snipe hunts that you want us to go on and chasing our tail on social justice, I'm going to study science, technology, engineering, math, accounting, law, business, and I'm going to let these crazy leftists worry about uh, women's studies and gender studies and ethnic studies and stuff like that. And I'm going to go get a real career where I can make a living for my family and so on and so forth. That's what we should be focused on. But instead, they ring Pavlov's dog, uh, you know, Pavlov's bell for racism, and we come like dogs salivating for a meal. And it's pathetic. So I'm pretty sure Shelby touched on a lot of this. And quite frankly, it's common sense. There's no other race of people, Charles, who can be brought to such a level of, of frothing at the mouth than black folks. Wow, that's true. That's true. So I, I wanted to talk specifically about, like I said, some of the things that you are actually doing that are being in the fight and actually making a, yeah. some, some serious progress. You want to talk about some of your meetings or some of the things you're doing to push schools, yeah. push the schools to actually make some of this stuff happen. Yeah, so let's talk about that for a second. So the first thing that happens with, with schools is they say, hey, Kevin Charles and all you young black folks out there, we're going to let you come into college on affirmative action on this lower standard. And they talk about diversity and inclusion because they want us in these colleges and universities. And what they've done is they've managed to shut down the HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, because they're losing students at 25% per year. And then we come over into these other colleges and universities where we're nothing but a, a money draw for them. They get more money from the state to bring us in. Go get those loans. Go get that money from the government. So we get into these schools at a fraction. In other words, my SAT scores can be 1,000, but, you know, Chang's has to be 1,400. I get into school, and maybe I flunk out, or maybe I change my degree from engineering and math to some social justice nonsense degree. Either way, I lose. And there's nobody keeping statistics on how well a kid that gets into college on affirmative action does. His freshman year, does he flunk out? Or what does he graduate? What was his degree when he went into school, and what was his degree when he got out? Did he even graduate? There's no statistics. But colleges make millions and millions of dollars talking about how much diversity they have. And I'll give you an example. The University of Michigan spends $10.7 million a year with 93 different people in their employment to have diversity or inclusion in their title. Wow. So I would ask the University of Michigan, what's, what's the outcome? Is your score, is your school more or less diverse? And by the way, what is the magic number of silly Negroes you need to have in your school before you finally decide, you know what, I've got enough or I no longer need diversity? Every college on the planet is doing the same thing, Charles. They're making millions of dollars in diversity. They're, they're converting these, these kids that should be maneuvered into the things that they're good at, and they're making them into social justice warriors, and they come out of school and they have no usable degree. But the college feels good. It's made its money, and they got some militants running around here calling everything racist. That's what we created, an ecosystem of ignorance, and, and what, is, what C is doing is we are forcing these colleges and universities to give you the statistics. Tell me how many blacks and Latinos are graduating 
and what this diversity is doing. And if you can't live up to it, if you can't give me a reasonable explanation as to whether or not it's any good, then you got to dump your program. So that's what we're looking to do. Kevin, you are opening up some eyes. This is Kevin Jackson from uh, Seeking Educational Excellence. Uh, you let me know whether you want to uh, continue with this uh, <laughs> over the break. Uh, we would love to uh, talk to you for another minute or so. Uh, this is Black and Right on AM560, The Answer, back in a moment. I said, I think I'll come back to the show the the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about. It's black and right on AM560 with John Anthony and Charles Love. Welcome back to Black and Right. Uh, wow. After a lot to unpack. <laughs> after uh, Shelby and Kevin uh, hit us with that, we're definitely going to discuss that and see what your thoughts. But we want you to call in and tell us what your views are. 312-642-5600. Call us and let us know whether you agree with them, whether you disagree, if you have issues, and let us know. But before we go into that, John has something to say, but we've had Jim holding on the line for almost a half an hour. So let's go to Jim. Jim, thanks for calling. Hey, guys. How are you? Doing hey, great. Jim. Congratulations on your new show. I hope you do well, and uh, maybe pretty soon it'll expand to two hours instead of just one. Yeah, call the producer. um, I mean, call call the uh, Marcus. Well, we'll we'll get you you popular first. Anyways, um, (laughs) I always tell my friends, I says, unless you're albino, we're all people of color. It's just a matter of how much color you've got. I think this whole division of people by racial politics is kind of an extension of communism by divide and conquer. So I refuse to go along with it. I think the being politically correct is, is dumb for people. And there's another thing, too, when people talk about reparations, um, Ancestry.com has somewhere in their website, uh, if you go back to the 1830s, they have a list of all the black slave owners that were free blacks that owned their own slaves. And they document people that have over 30, had over 20 slaves, they held their names and number of slaves that they owned. So when people are talking about reparations, they say, okay, well, here's, Here's some free blacks that own slaves, so maybe you should go after their families as well. The whole extending of guilt beyond generations is really dumb. So you've got to go back and throw it in their face and say, hey, man, here's some of your fellow blacks that own slaves. So what do you tell them? You know, just push it back. <laughs> well, well, thanks for calling. And thanks for the vote of confidence. We thanks, hope you Jim. keep listening and you tell more people about it. Uh, John, you want to take that yeah, one? You know, I th- here's the deal. When you look at what everything that Shelby Steele had to say, you look, you listen to everything that Kevin Jackson had to say. What is the underlying thread with what they both said? Language, the control of language. When you look at the political correctness, what is it? It's the control of language. It's it's you're racist because of this or you're a bigot because of this or you, you, you know, you're prejudicial because of this. It's all about the monopolization of language for political purposes and Mm -hmm. to advance an agenda. It's about moving the goalposts. And I think that's I think that's what has so many people upset about President Trump, you know, because he doesn't care. He doesn't care about political correctness. He doesn't care about PC. That means absolutely nothing to him. I mean, we know we both know that Kevin doesn't care about it. (laughs) (laughs) I think he made that abundantly clear. I mean, abundantly clear. You know, and and I, I, I was really, really, really grateful to hear Shelby Steele and his commentary just on on where he thinks we are as a race. And, and, and even the next steps, how do we get to where we need to be? You know, and that's one of the reasons why I, I, I set out his quote, because I thought that quote was, was, was very powerful. We've been fighting for so long. I mean, when you look at it, we've been fighting for our place or our justice. You look at the state of Illinois, almost every position of power is filled by a, pers- a black person, except, mm-hmm. you know, the two that's not the governor 
and the treasurer. Mm-hmm. Everywhere else in this state of Illinois is filled by a black person. We have power, but do we have anything to show for it? Right. That's well, the question. Yeah, I think that um, as much as obviously uh, Shelby and, and, and Kevin were great and they make some salient points, but what we need to also remember is that that it takes a kind of mind adjustment, right? So part of the problem is it's, it's nature. Everybody, no, nobody's perfect, right? So we all have... You know, different flaws, and sometimes you get nervous. I mean, you got a couple guys here on the first show. You're like, oh, what are we going to do? You, you trip up with some words or you something, nervous? right? Uh, don't say that out loud, dude. <laughs> no. but what, So think about it. So what, what Shelby is talking about makes sense. But what it does, the, the, the scary part is if you remove an excuse for people, right, you, can't, you don't have that to fall back on, right? Because we all succeed and fail, you know, life's are ebbs and flows. But what happens is when you have that kind of crutch, people are able to say, well, that didn't happen for me because of this. And sometimes it could be racism, but... Sometimes it is racism. Oh, without a doubt. But, but, but what I'm saying is sometimes it gives you that other opportunity, whether it is or not, to just say, if I didn't get a raise or if I didn't get that job, if I'm not where that other person is, that's the reason. So it, it gives some people, the hard workers are going to work hard regardless. So it might be racism for them, but there's those people who kind of plateau, who do just enough to get by. So when you do just enough to skate by and you don't succeed, it gives you some other reason to, to kind of cover your failure. So that's kind of a problem. So it's hard to get those people to do that and then on top of that like that's why i pointed out the white liberals if you have people telling you that we can help you because you can't do it on your own everybody doesn't see that as a, some a form of racism and to me that offends me more than anything else you're it's saying like a slap in the face right, right? you're saying that you can't you, i'm not saying you can't su- succeed but you can't succeed unless i help you right that's that's part of the problem so you know what can we do from that from there and how do we how do we push back on that and get people to open their eyes and say okay we need to do something there so well i, I think i think when you look at all these exits that are happening you know the blexit the jexit the lexit uh, you know all of the exits i think and this is one of the questions i wanted to to, to pose to kevin but <laughs> kevin, mm, kevin, kevin, kevin going. Kevin, I, I love kevin though I, kevin has been in this fight for so long he's, he's he's been a true warrior in this fight and he just he doesn't back down you know but but you look at all these these people that are exiting are not exiting to the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. They're exiting to a movement. They're exiting to Donald Trump. Right. The problem is, what happens when Donald Trump is gone? Mm-hmm. Where will these people land? Right now, and you know me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not afraid to say I'm a Republican. Nowhere, nowhere near it. I'm not afraid to say I'm a Trump supporter. But once Trump is gone, where will these people land? What are we planning for these people? What is the Republican Party for the state of Illinois? And what is the Republican Party at, at a national level doing to embrace all of these people who feel like the Democratic Party has left them? Right. Well, you know, maybe the listeners can call in and tell, give us some answers on that, too. They can give us a call again at uh, 312-642-5600 and let us know what they think of Shelby. How did that make them feel? Uh, come back. you listen to Black and Right on AM560, The Answer. And we have an important call on, on, the, on hold right now. We're going to be going to someone else right after this. And right with John Anthony and Charles Love on AM560. The answer. Well, welcome back to Black and Right. I gotta tell you, uh, 
you sit here for an hour and it feels like 22 minutes and you can't get to everything but it's been an awesome show hope you enjoyed it and you come back you know give us some calls and tell people to uh you know extend us another hour so we can get into some more topics uh, we're gonna need more than one hour uh, definitely maybe four uh right now we have uh on hold, a friend of mine, Chris Harris from Unhyphenated America, and uh, he wants to add on. He'll pile <laughs> on with Shelby and uh, and um, Kevin and talk about uh, the left and what we need to do. So, uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, good afternoon, John. And what's going on, brother Charles? How you doing today? I'm good doing fantastic. How are you? Excellent, excellent. I was out here in this heat for a little while. Oddly enough. I uh, attended an African American festival Why you in Prince with me? William Why County, you Virginia. You know I hate that African American thing. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, but it's the funny thing is, is that I stopped by because uh, some friends of mine from the Prince William County GOP asked me to stop by because they had a booth, and so you know I'm a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, and so I saw some of my frat brothers out there, okay. and they had their booth, and, and a lot of other groups had their booth, but I spoke to one of the people from the Prince William County GOP, and one of the things I said to them, I said, you know, uh, I gave them some advice. I said, if you're going to put a sign up, if you're trying to bring some attention in, um, one of the things you should do is have a sign that says, we want you to be economically independent. You know? Right. And, uh, right. and they did, they had the sign up there, but it was a very small sign, <laughs> and it was one of those things I was like, I, I kind of said, I said, no, I really meant for you to have a much bigger sign, you know, because when I was walking around, Charles, I saw they had, you know, all these different booths. I mean, you had some of the, the county services, you know, they were like, oh, you know, like welfare services and all these oh things that were out there. Well, you know, the stuff that the African-Americans need, right? Oh, well, yeah, exactly. You, you know? You're going to have to come back so we can talk about this, uh, your whole undocumented America thing. I would love I'm getting to getting a wave that this, that this segment is way shorter than I thought, but I appreciate the call, and we will talk soon. Yes, we will. Appreciate it, Charles. Take yeah, care. Thanks. Uh, now let's go to Babette. Hey, Babette. Charles hey, gentlemen. Congratulations on your new show. Hey, thanks. Babette. Hey, hey, John, I believe, made a statement just briefly about what do we do with the people who have left the Democrat Party, your walkaways, your Lexits and Blexits. I've been saying lately, if we don't get it together as a party, as a whole, and it was a good point, we're going to have a runaway. <laughs> mm. Yep. Got to have somewhere for them to go. Because like you know, we Bryant still right have there. the great party. Yeah, we have a great party. We have the party of diversity. The thing that I feel, and we are the party of reason, I'm, you know, I may be biased, but when it comes to according opportunities, look what our president has done. No one has touched this stuff. The Second Chance Act and yes. so forth, criminal justice reform. Oh, yes. At the same time, we don't seem to be well with placing the people who come in. And, and this is just Babette, something I'm I've been passionate about. Sorry, we are down to just a few seconds. Thanks for the call. Please call back the next time. Uh, who do we? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Oh, look at here. We got Sonia. Is this Sonia Schmidt? It is Sonia ha -ha, Schmidt. Wow. Of, call I'm from... in the middle of Whole Foods, but I have to call you guys. <laughs> in well, between the 
cheese section and the ham section, but you guys sound fantastic. Now I'm hungry. You give me such hope. <laughs> now you're okay. You are you awesome. I am hope. finding out all my friends are long-winded. Sonia, I will call you soon. Down to 30 seconds. Thanks for calling. <laughs> you know, I never thought of, You know what, Charles? Thank you. This has been a ride. You know, but I never thought in a million Stephanie, years. Stephanie, quick, go. Is this the Stephanie? Is this this is Stephanie. You guys sound phenomenal. It sounds like you've been doing this forever. You certainly set the tone of what your show is going to be all about, live and local, every Saturday, 1 o'clock. you got to tune in. Good job, guys. Great John. Great Charles. You guys sound like old pros. You're the you best. to close out the show. Stephanie oh, that's Charles awesome. with WLS. Thanks for calling. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.